0: Fidget, a BFRB podcast. Oh, okay, hello everyone. Thank you. Welcome back. Uh, very excited um, for today's guest. You may know him as. Uh, That person who is sitting next to you on your bus home from high school, Lucas.
1: (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Hello. Uh, Yeah, um, that is me. Very big fan of public transit. Very fond of sitting beside people. If you have headphones in, like even more reason. I'm just sitting right down, going to like poke you a couple times. Be like, hey, hey, what are you being so antisocial for? People love that when they're on the bus. Big fans Especially
2: during a pandemic. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Especially during a pandemic.
0: Yeah. Oh my goodness. No, in, in all honesty, so um, our guest today, Lucas, is Hello. a friend from high school. I guess we've known each other for 10 years, 10 plus years. What does Facebook tell us? Do we yeah. have an official count?
1: We have passed the 10 year mark according to Facebook. And I assume you
2: knew each other before Facebook or was it like immediately
1: Oh, our our friendship like predates Facebook. Facebook was still just a gleam in Mr. Zuckerberg's eye when Jason and I first started <laughs> first started bonding, sharing goofs, becoming friends. Nice. Uh, but the
0: only friendships that count are on Facebook, so that's why I'm going uh, by Facebook time. Exactly.
1: Know? Yeah. If I don't have like a solid da- solid set of data to work with, um, um it doesn't really count for me. All of my friendships need to be quantified and measured.
0: Uh, Lucas, Adele always makes fun of me for my data collection, so I'm very excited
1: to bring fun. you. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Um, Adele, do you want to team up and just like bully Jason about his data sets? Yeah, that sounds
2: perfect. I always just start um... laughing when he starts talking about a data collection during the podcast, and I think I've noticed him edit those parts out, like when I start
0: laughing. <laughs> That's no, an no. accusation I will not stand. Not my good name will will not drag my good name through the mud.
2: I mean, no one will ever know. I
0: guess. Um. But but anyway. So again, uh, Lucas, welcome to Fidget. And I think the first question I wanted to ask you as um someone who, uh, in fact, Lucas, I you knew me before I had a BFRB. Um. So mm. you were very. Uh, very truly seen the entire arc I've gone on. Um, so, mm-hmm. I, I think my first question that I wanted to ask you was like, what, how, like, how much did you know about my BFRB? Or
1: do you remember when we first talked about it? Mm, yeah, I think I do. Um, it's definitely one of those things that's like you notice it before you talk about it the first time. Um, I definitely remember like noticing that something was up with your hands, but it was kind of like, you know, you're Jason. I don't really care. You got hand stuff, do whatever. It wasn't the big part of our friendship. Um, it was just something about you, right? Everybody's got something. Um, and then one day, I don't remember how it came up. He kind of just sat me down and talked about it. And I think it was probably in one of our many hours long phone calls where we, you know, talk about life, love and everything in between. And, uh, It was probably like after it had been going on for a couple of years. And I remember feeling pretty good that I finally got to get to know the true Jason a little bit better. Told me a little bit more about his life's history and what was going on. Yeah, it's been interesting kind of seeing that develop. Because first it was just this thing that I didn't really understand or give too much thought to. Um, And then you opened up to me about it and told me a little bit more about like, where it came from and what it meant to you and um, I guess it gave me a bit of a deeper richer perspective on what's going on beneath the surface Um, and now you have a whole podcast about it and that's very (laughs) exciting so it kind (laughs) of feels like you've um, uh, like upgraded gone to the next level it's like you've uh, I don't know if like over came is the right word but like you've improved yourself to the point where you're comfortable sharing your experiences and knowledge with others and that's a really inspiring and cool thing to see because I know how difficult it can be uh talking about these things because you can feel like a absurd amount of shame over this thing even if like other people aren't seeing it that way so it's been it's been a ride that's for sure I don't remember when it was that you told me about it for the first time though
0: um do you recall when we had that conversation? Yeah, yeah, no, I I don't I I wouldn't also I wouldn't be able to point to a calendar and say um I also I think I mean something I've been reflecting on is like how how much I was like fumbling through those first conversations like I mm-hmm. think um like really it's it's only been in the last year where I've even like you know kind of discovered the acronym, been able to t- to talk about it and, you know, like have a, a concrete way of explaining it to other people.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I, I think, yeah, those first few times I like, I knew something was wrong, but I didn't have that language to share. And so did, like, did you feel like after having those conversations, did you feel like, Sure, I opened up, but did, was it like a, a satisfying conversation or like,
1: did did you mm. feel like there was that understanding or was it just something? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think that kind of understanding is something that just has to come with time and reflection. You know, like I definitely understand it better now than I did six months ago. And I understood it six months ago better than I did six months before that but i think like what that first conversation did was it just opened the door for us to talk about it in a kind of non-judgmental way so i mean it probably wasn't perfect i don't even remember that conversation too much to be honest with you <laughs> um, so uh, i don't know that's a di- difficult one to talk about i think it's like a big part of your life um not the biggest part obviously but it's something that would be really hard to get across in one conversation um so yeah i don't know if there was full understanding there but it uh i think we're getting to that point you know we're moving closer to it
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: Uh, yeah and i so i think lucas
0: i've always um i've uh i i felt a kindred spirit to you (laughs) um maybe i felt like comfortable opening up about um sort of my uh my mental health struggles because, um, you've also, um, shared and, um, like, I know you also, um, yeah, struggle with, struggle with mental health issues. And I, I think maybe w- what helped me in knowing that, you know, okay, I don't have the perfect answer, um, is, <laughs> I mean, I feel like you've also fumbled
1: with me. Oh, um, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so badly. Oh man. Yeah. Um but that's just kind of a part of growing and figuring yourself out and figuring out how to communicate that to others. Yeah, it's really hard to do that kind of exchanging of vulnerabilities properly. But I'm I'm glad that you were comfortable talking to me about that stuff, you know, it's I mean, of course, like any good friend would would listen when you have something important like that to say. Um but yeah, I've definitely had my own fair share of brain stuff going on and i've felt the same way you do where i'm like am i am i communicating this well to others like it's it's such a big thing brains are so complicated i don't think there's any way absent of you know mind reading technology to be able to like fully communicate what that experience is like and this is a question that i have um you
0: know both for you uh lucas and adele is like do you Do you have like some sort of like radar or sense of like how do you like how do you know another person is like like worthy of hearing your story? Is worthy the right word? Like when Mm. when do you when do you trust to to share? And um, like how do
1: you what's that process like? Mm. I need a second to think. Adele, what are your thoughts (laughs) on that?
2: That's a good question. I think my radar has. Uh, not always proven very accurate to be honest um in in terms of, of trust in general and so i think it, it's kind of a <laughs> to use that agile um metaphor that we've used before i th- i actually think it's trial and error is, is the only way there's trial and error and then we've also talked about gut feelings before and i think it's a combination of both to try to to figure out what is what is actually going on around you um i think sometimes how i determine who to talk to about it can be more about the other person than it's about me especially now where i feel like i have a lot of support and i feel like i have my own resources that i'm working with but sometimes talking to other people about it is more about whether i think they might benefit from the conversation maybe I think that they're, they're struggling with something and, and maybe me being vulnerable will help them open up. Um, so I think, yeah, for me, it's turned into more of an empathy piece of, oh, is is someone else suffering right now and, and, um, and picking up on those signals,
1: trying to step in. Interesting. I like that. I like what you said about it being more about the other person kind of thing. I've definitely felt the same way where it's like, I don't have this, burning need to talk about my own mental health stuff all the time it's like I've got avenues and routes where I can go for Mm -hmm. that Um, for me it's like the same kind of thing I'll share it if it will help the other person be a bit more comfortable opening up but I think the other thing is if I'm talking to somebody and I want to deepen the relationship in some way you know grow Mm -hmm. closer with friends start a romantic relationship um, whatever it is uh, I think there's a certain point where you just kind of have to let them into that part of your life and I'm pretty open about my mental health stuff because I like like I feel like you can filter out just nasty people from your life pretty early on like if somebody's not down to hear about my depression or you know if they're nasty and garbage about my self-harm scars like I want to know about that stuff pretty early on before I invest too much time and energy in that person you know so I guess I'm not too worried about whether or not somebody is worthy I think it's kind of like you find out when you tell them um, yeah,
2: I think what you said about them knowing you fully is, is a really good point and, and it's something that I've experienced in the past where I start, it's a um, the beginning of a romantic relationship and then there's romantic gestures, things happening and then I realize, oh, I've never even talked about trichotillomania. Oh. I feel hmm. like before this goes any further, I have to bring it up because otherwise they're they're just maybe they're interested in me but they don't know the whole picture and not that
1: mm-hmm.
2: not that I would expect them to change their mind but it's just the information that they're working with is not is not the full picture and and so it feels like a responsibility to open this up mm-hmm. and so that I know that they're they like me as a whole and it's it's not you know despite this this experience that I have
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's kind of tricky to gauge like when to bring that up too because like on the one hand, I want to get that out there early, but it's also like it's not the most important part of who I am, you know? Like I like fungi, I like moss and trees, I like cool nature facts. I have a motorcycle. Like all that stuff is cool and I want to share the awesome parts about me more so than I really want to focus on the not so fun parts about myself, you know? Like I think it's important to share those things too but it's kind of a balancing act between like uh, Like I guess like
2: attention to bring to it.
1: Yeah. Like how much do I want to let my mental health dominate the conversation? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: Well, I was, I was just going to say, since I've known you Jason for just over a year, really, um, it's been really fascinating to watch how you have been opening up. And it's, I mean, it's pretty dramatic between like when we first met, I'm, I'm skipping the salsa dancing part because we didn't really get to know each other at that point. <laughs> but um yeah, from like the support group beginning of our friendship to now and yeah, having a podcast and, and having a lot more conversations. do you find that you're that it's a challenge to figure out who to talk to about it still?
0: Yeah, I I, I think it is. Um I think it's quite residual of I don't yeah I don't know if I have as you both were talking about um, you know your your sense of sharing I think for the longest time I did have so much shame and Mm -hmm. um, I, I think it was quite crippling like I didn't know how to bring it up and I would tiptoe and I like I know other people would notice like other people would uh, like comment or ask and I would um, come up with excuses. Like I, I just didn't know how to talk about it. And um, I was very afraid and very, I think very selective, you know, hyper-selective of mm. um, the the people I wanted to talk to about. Um, I, the, uh, a fragment of a conversation that I remember um, we had Adele was, okay I'm, I'm struggling to recall it but it was this sense that is something seriously wrong with me I think for the longest time I saw my hands and I was like oh my goodness something is seriously wrong with me whereas Adele I feel like you had a, a certain lightness where you were like you know what I have trichotillomania but like no, it's not like seriously, seriously wrong. Like, it's just fine. Whereas I think I took a lot more, I was a lot more self-serious and moody and angsty about it. Um, oh,
2: I was angsty in like when I was 13 about it. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but I, I think I had more time to work through that. And and for you, it's, it's more recent and, and you maybe had less information about it.
1: Also, we you were around. like 13. It would be very surprising if you weren't angsty about it. <laughs>
2: True, but this added a
1: whole other layer. <laughs>
0: Fair. Um, uh, yeah. Well, um, Lucas, do you feel like you um, this 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 comfort in speaking about your mental health? Is it newly founded, or how how mm-hmm. how what, how did you get to this point of um, being more open about um, yeah your your depression or your self harm?
1: Good question. Um, I think it's just like a gradual thing you know as you get more comfortable with yourself um and as you deepen your relationships with friends and family and talk about these things it just gets easier with practice you know like the first time anytime i uttered the word depression out loud when i was younger it was like always with a capital d in my voice you know um and now it's like i don't know it's the depression it's the big sads like who cares it's just it's a part of me but i've got enough other cool stuff going on that like i don't feel like it defines me in the same way that it did when I was younger. Um, And I'm sure that like, you know, our friendship has been a part of that. You know, we've talked about uh, depression, anxiety stuff a fair bit. And that, you know, kind of desensitizes you to it. It's like when I have a conversation with somebody about it now, it's like I've had a million conversations with it about or about it with Jason. So Mm -hmm. it's not as it's not this big mystery anymore you kind of like get a feel for how these conversations are going to go and what twists and turns to expect and like how to communicate it so that you're being honest but not like terrifying the other person and yeah I think just like gradually over time you kind of get better at it also like my self-harm scars some of them are pretty visible so it's like just by necessity I'm getting a lot more people exposed to it and asking about it and at first that kind of sucked, but now it's like, you know, it's just a, a part of who I am. And now it's like, Oh, okay. You want to talk about, about my self-harm scars? I'll give you like the three minute cliff notes version. And then we're going to move on. <laughs> Cause I got fungi to talk about. You know?
2: <laughs> Is that something that's an interesting point. Um, one, I guess, question that Jason and I have talked about in the past about about BFRBs is whether it's beneficial for people to ask about them or not. Um, And Mm -hmm. sort of pros and cons to both. But for you, Lucas, when it comes to self-harm scars, do you like it when people ask you? Would you prefer that they didn't or is it a mix of both?
1: Ooh, that's a great question. Um, Personally, I prefer it when people ask about it because Mm -hmm. like, you notice when people are looking right and like there have been times when there are like cashiers who are just like staring at my hand and it just dominates the entire interaction where like they're not treating me as a person anymore because they're just like so fixated on this one tiny part but they aren't comfortable enough asking me about it and now it's Mm -hmm. like I can tell you're talking about it but I don't want to just come out of nowhere and just be like oh yeah this is the time I put out (laughs) cigarettes on my hand it's like you know it's not something I want to bring up out of nowhere um Mm -hmm. It's kind of like when somebody's being super passive-aggressive to you and you're like, okay, I can tell that you're angry, but if I ask if you're angry, you're going to be like, no, I'm not angry. You're angry. Shut up. Um
2: are <laughs> so, the responsibility for or the ball in your court.
1: Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. But like, mm-hmm. that's, it's going to be very dependent on the person, you know, because like, not everybody wants to talk about their um, self-harm scars either, you know? So I think in many situations, it's probably better for people to just ignore it and not bring it up. It really depends on the situation and your relationship with the person who has these scars, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious, what are your guys' thoughts? Do you care when people ask? Do you encourage it, discourage it? How are you guys dealing with that situation?
2: Mm. Um, it, it, I think similarly, it depends on the situation. I'm, I think I'm at a place where I'm comfortable enough that if people ask, I'll almost be happy that they ask because... I'm always really excited to spread the word about, in my case, trichotillomania, because mm-hmm. I think a huge part of the of the challenge with trick is that people don't know about it, or right. people don't understand BFRBs as a whole.
1: And so trichotillomania—that's the um, focused on hair—is that right?
2: Yeah, that's right. So I pull my hair out consult, uh, compulsively consultively. Um,
0: <laughs> do you,
1: nice want, to do you like, want to be pulled? Do you want to be pulled? Nice little interview <laughs> with each hair strand. It's fun.
2: Hey, it's it's an interesting relationship I have to my hair because I love my hair. Like I have, you saw, I have curly hair. Um, mm-hmm. It's always been a big part of of my identity and and my appearance. And um, yes, yeah, so it's it's a love hate relationship at times, but. <laughs> Yeah, so I've found, like, anytime I'm talking to a health practitioner and they don't know about trichotillomania, I or they ask me something about my eyelashes, for example, because I don't always have eyelashes, then mm-hmm. I'm really pleased. I think I've been fortunate in that I've, I haven't been bullied for it. I have heard stories of people being bullied, especially as a teenager or as a young child when other children don't have filter or the ability to to sort of put themselves in the other person's shoes and so they might ask questions or um, make comments in a way that's really hurtful but Mm -hmm. so far I haven't had that experience with adults and I'm and I'm really grateful for that but I I wouldn't appreciate it if someone was really um asking me questions in in a judgmental way so I guess overall I like it when people ask as long as they're nice about it (laughs) yeah what were you
0: yeah I um well I think you know you asked me that question a year ago and I would have said oh I hope nobody notices I do my best to hide them you know in my pockets as much as <laughs> as possible and <laughs> I found when people ask me um they don't ask like oh like what's up with your hands. I think they would just jump to conclusions. They, a lot of people assume that I have, um, eczema or I'm, you know, they're like, Oh, use this lotion. It'll fix that right up. And so that for me, it was like, I had to like backpedal them of like, slow, whoa, slow down. Um, and so that, that was stressful for me to, 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 to respond to, to that. Um, you know, like people wouldn't just, wouldn't ask they would jump to a solution so I didn't really appreciate that but yeah Adele as you mentioned like within the last year I think um uh, me just uh, being more open with it now it's not such it's now it's not an issue anymore when people ask and I think I am getting to a point where it's not I'm excited when people but like you know I um (laughs) (laughs) I I practiced I've practiced what I wanted to say now Um, so it's it it's less of an issue um yeah Lucas do you find you need to um I guess like explain um part aspects of your mental health like do you um like is it
1: yeah yeah good question um I do feel that way, but I, I feel it less on a, a personal level and more on a like societal level. I think this is just people need to be aware of what's going on in other people's lives because so many people lack compassion towards the mentally ill, you know? So I'm doing this like hiking challenge thing right now where I hike 100 days in a row, I'm raising money for this uh, local homeless shelter, and I record daily videos about my hikes, about whatever topic under the sun. And I try to use this platform as a way to talk about some of my own mental health issues, just so that other people kind of know what's going on underneath the surface. And if they encounter somebody else going through something, they might be like, oh, yeah, it's like that fat, bald dude said, okay, I know what's going on here. I know how to be (laughs) be supportive, you know? Um, I think, like, hmm, I do feel this, like, need to educate because I can think of, like, ridiculous goofy things that people have said to me and i think about people saying those things to some of my other friends who are depressed or have anxiety or whatever it is and i'm like i don't want other people to have to like suffer those same kind of comments you know like there's this one woman who um commented on one of my videos who was like oh it sounds like somebody just needs a hug with like a couple of heart emojis and i'm like lady i don't think i've had hugs before hugs aren't that good okay hugs are great (laughs) (laughs) they're not that good Um, and then like some other guy messaged me out of the blue asking me if i'd ever thought of taking psychedelic drugs to cure my depression and i'm like buddy first off you're preaching to the choir but second off you are not a doctor <laughs> you don't know me you shouldn't be coming out of the woodworks to tell me to take yeah, like <laughs> drop acid that's so ridiculous
2: he was confident right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah he,
1: he is an interesting doc he's actually like my arch nemesis now but i don't want to name him on the, um whoa yeah yeah oh jason so, i gotta tell you, you about say- this guy later <laughs>
0: Um I, I uh funny enough that's a segue into something else I wanted to ask you about, Lucas. Is, um, <laughs> yeah. Arch nemesis, go. No. Um uh the use of like uh SSRIs and like antidepressants. Um you've you know, you've uh kind of they've been prescribed to you, but um um I don't know, they, they weren't they didn't really work for you and they you, you've kind of been experimenting with them.
1: Yeah. I was on SSRIs for a while. Um, when I say that they sucked, I mean that they sucked for me and I had a bad experience. Um, they're kind of, they're not an exact science just yet. They do help a great many people and they're one of the best options that we have for treating depression through medicine um, or through medication rather. But uh They can have some side effects for a lot of people. So, one of the side effects for me was that I had like no motivation whatsoever anytime I was on them. And I did feel better. I felt less anxious about things while I was taking these SSRIs. Um, But I found it a lot more challenging to like do things. And that got me to a point where like um, personal problems were piling up so much that they were making me more unhappy then the drugs were making me happy. So Mm -hmm. I've had better success not being on SSRIs and just like addressing those root problems that are causing me unhappiness. We we got a ways to go in terms of figuring out what's going on in the brain. Um, Mm. They're a good option for a lot of people, but they didn't work that great for me personally, I would say. Mm
0: And Adele, I don't know if I know this. Did you ever, were you ever on any sort of medication or did you explore that option?
2: Um, actually, no, I haven't been, but it was, it was recommended to me very early on because one of the, I so, saw so a psychologist when I was 13, I think. And then a little later I went and saw a psychiatrist and that psychiatrist was very much in favor of me trying, and I think it was also SSRIs. Um, but I, I wasn't open to it. I, the way I've been raised is is kind of um, more from like homeopathic or naturopathic medicine, and um, really trying to avoid medication if, if it doesn't feel necessary. And I think at that point it felt like it was early enough in my in my journey with trick that I wanted to try other things first to see if I could address it by similar to you, Lucas addressing Mm -hmm. some of the the root challenges that were causing this or um, trying some coping mechanisms. And I'm really glad that I didn't immediately uh, start medication. I haven't found the need to to try that really. And Mm -hmm. Instead, so when I said no to the medication, they, that psychiatrist recommended cognitive behavior therapy as an alternative. And and from what I hear, you can do both at the same time. I mean, there's all sorts of combinations, ways that people are addressing the FRBs. And I'm really glad that I started with the CBT and then eventually found some other practices that worked well for me. I think I, I had some fears around the side effects and, and also just, yes, the way that, I was raised in my view of medication was definitely impacting what I was open to trying. Jason, is that something that's ever been suggested to you and when, when you
0: talk to practitioners? Or? Yeah, I was, yeah. I mean, I was actually on SSRIs for maybe two, two or three years.
1: Oh, wow,
0: I didn't um, a- yeah, it was, I think, um, yeah, suggested to me by a psychiatrist. Um, I think I, I had my BFRB for about um, two years or so. And, you know, they, they just sort of suggested, explored it as an option. Um, I mean, the the fear was definitely there before, before taking them. I remember like, yeah, before filling out my prescription. Yeah, just kind of I, I, I don't know, I don't know how to quantify the, the, the fear, just uh, whatever the, you know, what if, what if I get addicted or like, I need to rely on these for the rest of my life? Like, how will that offer, um, alter my personality or thinking, you know, Lucas, like you said, motivations, like what, um, I, it kind of felt like, oh, was I about to like cross into this, uh, threshold you you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube um <laughs> i uh yeah i don't know um eventually i i i talked to a friend who um she at that time i think was like maybe a month into her her using ssris for the first time so just uh getting to talk to that friend and um i think the way she framed it was you know, it's, uh, like it's an experiment in like a good way. Like, you know, you can try it for two weeks and, um, put it down and, you know, you don't, um, going back to this agile idea, you know, you're not committed to, um, trying it out for a year, just see how it goes, see if it helps. And, um, you know, you don't, you don't need to decide right now whether or not this is uh, right or wrong. It's just um, part of the exploration. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, and I guess I was exploring for <laughs> two, two years at least with them. And I feel very, I mean, I feel like I have a un- very unsatisfying account of my experience with them. I don't know really how they affected me. Um, hmm. I couldn't really put my finger on if it even helped or hurt. <laughs> uh, I, I Yeah. So um, honestly, my decision to stop using them was um, also like, it wasn't um, it, that was also very gradual. Like I think, my psychologist encouraged me to experiment with the dosage just you know I think we would check in every two weeks and then she would say oh how's it feeling and I'm like oh, I'm still scratching my hand she's like okay try taking an extra 50 milligrams and I'm like <laughs> okay I guess so um, and, and we just you know we we kind of fluttered with the dosage for for a long time and then uh, kind of with that I'm like okay well let me just try taking a little bit less. Let me try taking a little bit less. Let me try taking a little bit less. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then eventually I just stopped altogether, never renewed my prescription. Um, and I think I kind of stopped seeing that psychologist. Um, I mean, I I was seeing her through, through school and then I graduated and then I'm like, Oh my goodness. Um, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, Again, I still scratched my hands when I was on the SSRIs. I still scratched my hands when I uh, after I stopped taking them. So, all that to say, I have <laughs> no like idea. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: I think I had a similar fear of, of dependence.
1: Yeah, it feels weird to like think that you might be reliant on this medication. Um, I remember when I first started going on them, I had this thought like what if there's some kind of like apocalypse or something and I'm like roaming across the wastelands on, um, oh my like my pedal bike. Cause they won't be, there won't be gas stations anymore. It's the apocalypse, you know, like, what am I going to do? Am I just going to be like extra super depressed because I don't have my pills anymore. I mean, like that's absurd. I think if there's an apocalypse, I'm, I'm going to be pretty bummed regardless of whether or not I'm on <laughs> SSRIs, honestly. Um, <laughs> But like it does feel weird to feel like you're reliant on this thing, just for experiencing a normal range of emotions. You know, mm-hmm. um, I feel like I'm a little bit over that fear now. I've kind of adopted this this mantra in life: is that like I can just I can quit things whenever I want. That's not a problem. Like with this hiking thing, hiking 100 days in a row. On day one, I told myself, like Lucas. Just go as far as you can, raise as much money as you can, give up whenever. Like if your knee starts to hurt, screw it. Just stay home. If you're tired, stay home. If you're too depressed, whatever. Just eat nachos in bed all day, right? Um, um, but oddly, like giving myself that permission to quit whenever I wanted, it gave me like a little bit more uh, motivation to keep going and just see how far I can get. Because now it's like, sure, I can give up, I can quit, but like, I want to see what happens when I, when I keep going, Mm -hmm. when I continue. Um, And I feel like that kind of attitude, I could apply to SSRIs as well. Um, Like I've quit SSRIs before on two different occasions. Um, I know that if I don't like the effects, I can just stop taking them. It's no big D kind of like what Jason was saying earlier.
2: Is there like a, like a transition period though, that that is um difficult to experience that's what i would expect so like every time you start and stop does oh, do you feel yeah. the impact on your pre
1: yeah absolutely like i would say that that's the worst part of ssris is going on them and getting off them it messes mm-hmm. with your mood so much um for me it's about like a week after i start taking them or stop taking them i just feel like i've got these mood swings all over the place it's really hard to regulate my emotions um It's like daily life is a bit more of a struggle than it normally is. But after that, it kind of just balances out whichever way Mm -hmm. I'm going. They say that Mm -hmm. it it does take quite a a while for people to notice the effects of SSRIs. Um, Like most commonly, it's four months to, or not four months, right? Four weeks to six weeks, I think, for people to start feeling the effects at all. And some people don't begin to see improvement until almost a year of taking these things. So... I think the longest I've ever been on them was for eight months. Don't quote me on that. Um, I don't know why you would, but don't. <laughs> um, <laughs> local man uses SSRIs for nine months.
2: No, was eight, Jason. <laughs> ah!
1: Lord, <are> <laughs> oh, boy. you um, wrong? Oh boy. So yeah, for me, like it, it's possible. Maybe I just wasn't taking them long enough to to feel the full effects, right? Um, I'm pretty Mm -hmm. happy with how I'm dealing with my depression these days. Um, I'm happy with the progress that I'm making, but it's definitely something that I don't want to lock myself off from forever because like, maybe it's something that I do need to experience and try again. Like maybe it's just because I haven't had enough of that therapy stuff.
2: Um, You mentioned this, that you're you're feeling good about how you're um, coping with your depression right now. So other than SSRIs, have you found any, any coping mechanisms or, or other ways that you are happy with
1: that have been successful? Yeah, good question. I mean, like, I've always been coping with my depression in one way or another. But as I've gotten older, I've traded some of those coping methods for healthier ones. Um, mm-hmm. Like, for a long time, smoking pot was one way that I was coping with my depression. One of the issues with depression is that it messes with, you know, some of your neurotransmitters. Um, Dopamine and serotonin primarily. And when you're smoking Mm -hmm. marijuana, it activates those same neurotransmitters. So for some people, it can kind of like fill that void and let you get by, I guess. But it's not a very good long-term solution. So I've kind of phased that out. Um, There was Mm -hmm. a time when I was smoking like five, six, seven joints a day, which not great for the old lungs, not great for the old wallet. Um, And now it's like, I I don't really smoke. I smoke recreationally for fun but like that wasn't right. something that i would be able to do um back when i was smoking regularly it was like if i had pot i would smoke it now it's like um it was Tuny tuesday today so i went to the pot shop and now i've had like two joints sitting in my po- pocket like all day and i was like ah no i'm doing a podcast later i'll, I'll smoke when i'm talking to my brother later or something like that um yeah. so for me that's progress that's something i wouldn't have been able to do in the past um
2: so being being able to make that decision
1: yeah that was um a big turning point for me. I think like self-harm was also a a coping mechanism for a while, but also not a great one. Um, Mm. And that's something that I've replaced with healthier behaviors. A a lot of it for me is like there were a ton of issues in my life that I just wasn't addressing in one way or another. Um, I would avoid my problems and try not to think about them because they were very painful. And now getting better at, you know, facing those fears, And thinking about the things that make me uncomfortable logically and like think about them as problems to be solved rather than these unapproachable obstacles that are making me really uncomfortable. Uh, That's helped me make a lot of progress. Yeah.
0: Mm. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Lucas. I feel almost the same way about my BFRB. Mm. Like, I think it was something maybe I was avoiding for a long time, and just afraid of ah this big issue, capital I issue. I like what you said <laughs> earlier about capital D depression. You know, I have this capital I issue that yeah. I'm avoiding, trying to to look at. I had I had this experience um, a few years ago where I noticed like this wet part of my wall, and I was just like so afraid of like oh my god what if there's like a leak what if there's mold what if there's um you know whatever what if i rip open the wall and there's just so much more um, mold than i was expecting what mm-hmm. will i do maybe if i just you know like don't look at it, don't look look at at it. it. it's behind the wall <laughs> like wait wait 2 days check if the spot is still wet um And then I'm like, ah, and then the next day I'm like, okay. So then I called like the building inspector. I got, I got it looked at. And um, I I think that's, uh, yeah, maybe how I was handling my BFRB. Um, And Mm -hmm. so I like what you said, Lucas, about really tackling it head on. Um, Mm -hmm. And to me, that's sort of what I've been doing this past year at L, like in this support group is, I, I am looking at the issue and I, you know, I can't ignore it. Um, and I have to take ownership over it. Um,
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel that. I feel like at this point, having learned so much about trick, I'm able now to, like, I'm applying that same philosophy to things that are causing trick, which is a really interesting development, which I'm, I'm really proud to to observe in my life where it's like okay so maybe you know for the last how long has it been now it's been almost a month since I've actually actively pulled my hair um which is crazy and it's all because of acupuncture but that's for another conversation um (laughs) and but now it's like well okay even if I don't pull my hair I still have stressful experiences I still have anxiety I still feel doubt and i you know have emotional roller coasters <laughs> and i guess now the the challenge and the opportunity is really that that time and, and attention that i was focusing so closely on trick, uh, where can i direct that now so that i can address my mental health overall and my well-being overall and so um i was telling jason earlier that i just met a counselor for the first time last week or just started seeing a counselor and we're not even really talking about trick I mean I mentioned it to her just so she she would know about it and and she did know what trick was which is cool um but we we can make space for other things that I think by addressing these other things can sort of hopefully help keep my trip not necessarily at bay because I expect it to come back from time to time but um it's preventative i guess and myself mm-hmm. overall, so that's
1: fine can i just say the word trichotillomania is so hard to say that like every time <laughs> i've had to say it on this podcast so far i like rehearse it in my head like 11 times before i
2: <laughs> I just call it trick for that reason
1: <laughs> it's so easier. much easier it's yeah. yeah well i'm glad you're uh going to see a counselor that's cool it's nice having like this unbiased person you can talk to about all the random bullshit going on in your life you know sometimes you can just yeah. go in throw yourself down on the couch and it's like oh my god you would not believe the crap that jason <laughs> said to me this week i gotta get this off my chat <laughs> that's all i talked
2: about was what jason said. <laughs> oh, no. oh no, my goodness and i was pleasantly surprised because it was a, of course an online appointment and I was a bit nervous about that because I didn't think I was worried that it would just not feel quite as personal or get in the way, but mm-hmm. I actually really enjoyed it. It's nice to talk to someone who seems to agree with everything you say and, and, and <laughs> like, oh, wow, someone understands me. Like, this, this is great. But then, you know, those are her jobs.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: yes. Shout out to all the counselors out there. Thank you for doing amazing work.
2: Yeah. That must be such a
0: challenging job. No kidding. Um, uh, Lucas, a bit of a recurring question that we ask on Fidget is, uh, what
1: does recovery look like for you? Um, yeah, that is a good question. Um, I, I like that one for a couple of reasons. I, I think like it's one thing to think, I want to get better. But it's another thing entirely to have this mental conception of like what getting better actually is for you. you know. Um, I think for me, it's just not being, um, not missing out on what life has to offer because I'm sad or depressed or worried about people seeing my self-harm scars or whatever. Um, like I don't mind being sad. I don't mind the days where I don't really feel anything. Um, but what I really mind is when, uh, I can't do anything because of those feelings. Um, so for me, I guess it would be just get to the point where I have fewer of those days or I have the mental fortitude to like power through and go and do stuff that I find meaningful anyways, without necessarily the feeling of satisfaction or joy or whatever it is out of it. And that's like things like, I I like painting. I like hanging out with my friends. I like riding my motorcycle. I like working on my motorcycle. Um, but sometimes my brain is just like, ah, nope, just, sit down in bed and stare at the wall for like three hours and like that's not satisfying to me mm-hmm. uh, an example is like this fundraising thing that I've been doing I hit my fundraising goal recently I got to the $5,000 mark super duper yeah. cool happy that we Congrats. did it yeah. thank you um, but on the, the day that we hit 5k I felt like nothing I was just like alright cool it's just another Tuesday I went and did my hike I came home uh, you know made some food fell asleep like it wasn't I I didn't feel anything from it but now it's like a couple of weeks later it's like I can still look back at that event and be like yeah that was a cool thing that I did I'm happy that I did that it it builds this larger narrative of who I am and what I do and it doesn't um, it, it doesn't like matter to me so much that I didn't feel anything in the moment like yeah sure it would have been great to like jump up and down and clap my hands and be excited and all that but like I still did it and it's still an accomplishment that I can look back on and get satisfaction from, even in retrospect. You know, I think like, it's, it's not realistic for me to just want to be happy all the time. Cause like nobody is happy all the time. You know, it's not a realistic goal. Um, and maybe because of depression, I might be limited in the full range of emotions that I can feel always. There's no real cure to depression. Um, but there are ways that I can be happier, and to me, that just looks like doing things that bring me joy, even if I don't feel joy in the moment. I can always feel those feelings later, you know.
2: I'm nodding my head. You can't see me, but I'm nodding. <laughs> that's really. That's I've never thought about it that
0: way. I think that's a really good metric of yeah, just measuring how how say your mental health is. Is impacting your life. Um, mm. uh, my my COVID project has been uh, trying to learn the guitar, and you're uh, so good. I love it. <laughs> uh, thanks, Lucas. I, I I think it's been doubly mean, meaningful for me. It's because it's so like hand based, <laughs> and I oh, think for yeah. the longest time I um you know I didn't want like just using my hands was painful like just like bending and like even like writing with a pen hurts my hand sometimes when my um my BFRB is really bad so now that my hands are recovered and I can use them to do something like play guitar it's it, it's yeah really it's really meaningful for me and actually like the last few days um my I ha- I have this one section on my my thumb that opened up again and is bleeding and uh, I I've noticed. And so when I am playing guitar, it, it hurts. And I'm like, Oh my goodness, for the last two months, I I've been playing and it's been mm-hmm. fine, but now my hand hurts again. Um, but it's like, it, it doesn't hurt enough for me to stop. I don't think like, it's just, mm-hmm. I do notice it and it's a minor inconvenience, but I'm not like, I think in the past it would have been a lot more um, like existential and angsty about, <laughs> about the issue. But now, now, now it's just okay. You know, like my hands will heal over. I'll still be able to play the guitar. It's, it's no big deal. Mm. Yeah.
2: yeah. I, I can uh, relate to that. In well, I mean, I guess I'm fortunate in that trick, I do feel soreness like my scalp does feel sore if I've gone on a pulling spree but I think um, for me it has a lot to do with appearance and so I do remember being nervous about like swim class for example or just choosing I used to Mm -hmm. swim a lot and then like every day and then I think I decided not to swim anymore and part of the reason was I was always self-conscious about whether people could see my my bald spots when I when My hair was wet. It was just this anxiety that I didn't want to have to deal with every day, you know? And so it, I moved on to other hobbies, other activities, but even, so I do a uh, capoeira now, martial art. And um, there's like, you know, uh, I was going to say something called, it's more like cartwheels and like things that where you go upside down. And I can tell the periods of time when my BFRB is, is getting the best of me because I start to not want to go training because I start thinking, oh, you know, I have to put in bobby pins and like pin my hair down to make sure that it's not, it's not visible where I pulled and that kind of thing. And it's a heightened level of awareness of how other people perceive me. And then I just don't feel as free in my movements. And so, yeah, it's like, why? Well, maybe I should just not, not go. So I, um, I agree with that. And I think the the idea of not missing out on what life has to offer, what you said, Lucas, is, is really resonating with me. Um, And yeah, and sometimes it's as simple as like, I just really want to have long hair. <laughs> and like, what does that feel like? Or, you know, having my hair blowing in the wind, like, that's awesome. I miss that feeling, but it's been so hard for me to grow it out, you know? And it's kind of a, now I'm like determined to grow it out. And I keep having setbacks where I'm like, okay, I guess I'll just cut it all because this like one patch is really short now. Um, But yeah, that day when I have long hair, I'm going to be so excited. (laughs) It's going to take a while. Uh,
1: Well, you said it's been a month since you've pulled any hair out. So like you're making progress. That's pretty cool.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, I'm, I'm happy with it. It's, it's, My, I'm sort of applying a similar principle that you were describing earlier of not putting too much pressure, like you can quit anytime. I sort of have this feeling where, you know, I could pull and it it could happen and and that'll be okay. And I I don't really put the pressure on myself to be pull free uh, forever. And so I think that comes with, well... This might not last, but it's good while it's lasting. Like, I'm wearing mascara. This is awesome. We'll
1: see. That's cool. I like that attitude. It's like it's just getting better and improving yourself. It's a series of small baby steps. And it's so easy to get lost in the day-to-day and lose track of how far you've made over a longer period of time. Um, A couple of days ago, I was feeling garbage and worthless. And I was talking to my friend Jill about uh just like life stuff and how bleak and miserable i found everything and mm-hmm. it was day 73 in my little hiking thing and joe was like like lucas you are making progress like what would day one lucas think about where day 73 lucas is right now and i completely ignored him at the time but like that thought stuck in the back of my mind And i was thinking about it the next day and i was like you know what on on day one i was still smoking like daily um, and now like I haven't smoked for like a week and a half, and like day one, Lucas would be pretty proud of that. Like, you, yeah, I'm not where I want to be yet, but I'm definitely in a better spot than I was 73 days ago. And like, who's to say where I'll be 73 days from now?
2: Yeah,
1: absolutely. Okay. Yeah.
0: Did
2: we lose him? Oh no. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, um, um, Lucas, that was beautiful. Come back. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh no, he was like mic drop.
0: <laughs> mic <Mike> drop. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it's funny, I, Adele. I was gonna plop in my. Maybe that's One, our episode. episode. <laughs> and I was waiting uh, for it. And then, and then Lucas did it by himself. So. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That was, this has been an awesome conversation.
0: Um, Yeah. Thank you so much, um, Adele, as always, Lucas, Lucas for coming on and um, being so, so open and honest.
2: Yeah. So for all of you out there listening, if you have any ideas or suggestions or questions for us, we'd love to hear from you either by email on. fidgetpodcast at gmail.com or you can reach out to us on instagram at fidgetpodcast we'd love to hear any stories you have maybe about how you shared about your bfrb with people or tell us about your favorite fidget toys and we're happy to share that at future episodes
0: yeah um and a uh, thank you as always to Cheyenne who's made our logo uh Thomas who makes our theme song um but with that i think that's um that's our episode so thank you so much for listening and until next time
2: until next time